Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 7, day 1 of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 15, 1-20. Well, welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Joshua 10 times in these 10 weeks. We're on week seven, so you've got four weeks left to read it. If you haven't started, I really want to encourage you to do that. It really will transform your life in God. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to know you more through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. to be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 15, starting in verse 1. The allotment for the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the territory of Edom, to the desert of Zin in the extreme south. All right, before we continue on with that, I want to show you a quick map and just give you a quick overview of what we're going to be talking about today. And then we're going to kind of go through this because uh, I said this before, but I don't think we even, nobody knows where every single one of the names of the towns and places are in these next several chapters or in this, this, yeah, in the next several chapters, nobody's hundred percent sure where every single one of these are. Now we know where a lot of them are, but we've already gone through a bunch of towns and things like that. There's, there's tons and tons of resources out there. If you're interested in pinpointing where the different villages are and the tells, the tell is what you call a ruined city that's, you know, being, that's been found and excavated and things like that um, from these ancient cities. Some of them are underneath existing cities and things like that. And so uh, there's just a lot of debate and speculation. Some of them, again, some of them we know, some of them we don't. So, I'm not going to go into that level of depth into pointing out every single town. And tomorrow's podcast, I mean, there's just so many of them, and they're just one after the other. Uh, what I'm going to do is give you the literal 10,000, maybe actually like 50,000 foot view of all of this, like we started last week, and kind of continue down that path. And again, there's tons and tons of resources out there if you're fascinated enough by all of this to really start studying in more detail and what the archaeologists say and what they found and and then again, there's there's arguments and different things like that about what towns are which and all of that. It's an ongoing thing. Um, <clears throat> so with that, let's look at the map real quick. And again, 10weekbible.com slash Joshua, if you want to see these, if you're just listening. We're going to be talking about today about Judah right here. It's this region. Um, I don't need to keep that on there. You understand where Judah is. The one thing that I will point out, and we're going to come to this in a little bit, but the city of Jerusalem, the Jebusite city, is right there in the tribe of Benjamin, right here in the tribe of Benjamin. Um, I'll talk about this here in a little bit, and we'll come back to this map when we're done. But that is an interesting thing to point out. A lot of people don't understand, just from kind of a casual reading of this, it's very clear, but just kind of reading through it, uh, most people assume that Judah... Uh, Jerusalem, excuse me, as the capital of Israel and David's city was in the tribe of Judah. It's actually in the tribe of Benjamin. But again, we'll come back to that. So let's continue on verse two. Their southern boundary started from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, crossed south of Scorpion Pass, continuing on to Zin. But by the way, I, I, that's, that's a cool name. Okay, we got to pause on that. Scorpion Pass, 
cool name. Good job, guys. All right, continuing on. Pat continued on to Zin and went over to the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it ran past Hezron and up to Adar and curved around Karka. Then it passed along to Asmon and joined the Wadi of Egypt, continuing to the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea as far as the mouth of the Jordan. The northern boundary started from the bay uh, of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan, went up to Beth Hogla, and continued north of Beth Araba to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. The boundary then went up to Debir uh, from the valley of Achor and turned north to Gilgal. I want to pause right there. I'm guessing that the stone of Bohan is actually a, a stone that they set up. Maybe it was a stone that was already there, but they're like, this is what we're using as the line of demarcation. It's, as far as I know, in all of this, it's the only place where it's not a city or another geographic feature. It's some stone of some kind that they're using as a boundary marker. All right, continuing on. Uh, it went from the Valley of Acor and turned north to Gilgal, which faces the pass of Adumim, south of the gorge. It continued along to the waters of En Shemesh and came out in, in Rogel. Then it ran up the valley of Ben-Hinnom along the southern slope of the Jebusite city, that is, Jerusalem. From there, it climbed to the top of the hill uh, west of the Hinnom Valley at the northern end of Rephaim. I want to pause right there again. I said I'd do this. It, it, it did not include, very clearly did not include Jerusalem, the Jebusite city, what's going to be renamed as Jebus Right now, I guess, I, I don't know how long it's. they call it Jebus. Maybe they always, as long as the Jebusites had it, they always called it Jebus. But uh, at any rate, we know it as Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem before, and it's going to be Jerusalem again. But it's not in the tribe of Judah. It's literally at the edge of the tribe of Judah, just on the other side of the boundary line in the tribe of Benjamin. <clears throat> when David chooses the city of Jerusalem... I think there's a lot of things going on there. I think the Lord made it clear to Moses that the Lord himself was going to pick a city. And somehow David doesn't tell us, but he knows when he chooses Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, that that's the city that the Lord had chosen. May the Lord spoke it to him. Don't know how, but he takes that city. And it's going to be the first time that that city is taken uh, during the reign of David. And uh, he's going to choose, I think, specifically, if, if he was doing the choosing and it wasn't some divine thing that the Lord told him to do, if it was David's choice, he was choosing it as a political gesture to reunify the tribe of Judah and the other 11 tribes because Saul had been from the tribe of Benjamin and they actually had a seven-year-long civil war between Judah and Benjamin with one of Saul's sons and David. And so when David becomes king over all Israel, I think he intentionally, if again, if it's up to him, He's choosing a city intentionally in the tribe of Benjamin, but also very close to Judah and also somewhat as, as closely to the center of Israel as he can get while still having it near Judah. So there's all of those things going on, but I don't know. It could be that the Lord actually chose the city and told him to take that one, or it could also be that David chose it. And then later the Lord's like, hey, good job. That's the city I'd already pre-chosen. As we saw, I think... I can't remember if I read you the Amarna letter that talks about where the, the king of Jerusalem, writing to Pharaoh, talks about how this is the most special city. This is the, the center of religion, uh, as he says it in, um, in Canaan. And so from ages past, whoever held the city of Jerusalem 
we have some level of records on this viewed it as a very special religious site. And so the fact that the Lord chose that hill as, as the city where he was going to put eventually his temple and where the prophecies of Jesus ruling and reigning for all eternity on that mountain, on that hill, it's a very important thing. And from possibly the time of Methuselah, or uh, excuse me, um, not Methuselah, but the uh, uh, the the king of Salem. Um, man, now his, his name escapes me. How terrible. Um, the guy that Abram paid all his tithes to, uh, it'll come to me at some point. <clears throat> that was possibly when this place became the place where God decided he was going to put his name forever. Because those are the prophecies. He's going to choose a city in, in Israel. He's going to put his name there forever. And they haven't taken it yet. I, I find that really fascinating. You would think that if that's the place that the Lord was going to put his name forever, that would have been the first city that they take. And it's not. You know, Jericho is the first city they take west of the Jordan. Um, it's going to be 400 some odd years before the Israelites take Jerusalem. Anyway, continuing on, verse 9. From the hilltop, the boundary headed toward the spring of the waters of Neftoa came out of the towns of Mount Ephron and went down toward Bela, that is Kiriath-Jerim. Then it curved westward toward Bela to Mount Seir, ran along the northern slope of Mount Jerim, that is Kesselon, continued down to Beth Shemesh and crossed to Timnah. It went to the northern slope of Ekron, turned toward Shikaron, passed along to Mount Bela, and reached Jabneel. The boundary ended at the sea. The western boundary is the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So let's go ahead and look at the map again, just so we can see all this. So obviously, western boundary, Mediterranean Sea. We've got all this going down here, and it actually continues south. Um, when you look at most maps, you're going to see kind of this little curvy thing here. Um, in reality, it goes all the way down to the what we now call the Gulf of Aqaba, what they called the Red Sea at that time. And so we're kind of defining all of these boundary lines through here, um, but it essentially goes to the Wadi of Egypt is going to be somewhere out in here, and then all the way down again to what we call the Gulf of Aqaba. Now... <clears throat> Again, this is just so many different things that I'm not going to point out if you are fascinated by this. And, and you know, not everybody is. Not everybody's fascinated by this geography you want to drill in. But, you know, as you're going through this, I, I don't encourage you to stop reading God's word and exchange that for doing Google searches. I don't encourage that at all. I think that's a distraction. Keep reading the book of Joshua 10 times in 10 weeks. But if you're so fascinated by this that you want to keep reading through Joshua and even read through it more and more and more and get it in you and add to that going and doing searches on where are all, all these towns, what do the archaeologists argue over, you know, what what you know, what were some that they thought and now they don't think it's those villages and they think maybe it's over here. There's actually a lot of that in Judah. Um, some of the original cities that were excavated in Israel were in Judah, and the early archaeologists thought they were one town, and it turned out they weren't. And they're still trying to figure out some of those things. It, as, as far as the research that I've done, that's like an ongoing thing where they're trying to figure out where some of these cities actually were. And so if you're fascinated enough about, uh, to, to do that, 
then do that. Because I, I think a lot of times if there's this fascination within us and, and it's not, I, I want to make a distinction here is what I'm saying between being fascinated by God's word enough to go out and, and search these things out and just kind of going down that rabbit trail or actually being taken away from God's word and we're, we're hunting down these things. I consider those two very different things, right? If you're still just like the, in my experience, in my opinion, when you're fascinated by his word, you want to consume it more and more and more and read it so that you can understand it actually better than a lot of the people who are doing the research on it. What I found is very often people that will do research on specific passages. I mean, we know that archaeologists don't even use the Bible at all. Uh, secular archaeologist, and so the five non-secular archaeologists that do use the Bible. I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm making a point there. There's more than five, but there's not a lot. <clears throat> when when you're reading through that, uh, they're not using these things. They're not using the text generally as a guide for doing their archaeology, and so there's just a lot of different rabbit holes to go down that way. But if the Lord fascinates you, it might be for a reason. And I found a lot of times when, when I'm reading through these things, I get, when I get truly fascinated, I'm not just like going down these rabbit holes so that I can, you know, relay this information to you, but I get genuinely fascinated. And, and, uh, honestly, to this date, as we go through, the 10 week Bible studies that I've done, uh, the broadcast that I've done, there's been very few that I've done where I'm not genuinely fascinated by some of the rabbit holes I go down. Sometimes there's things where it's like, okay, this is really necessary for me to talk about for the sake of this broadcast. And I'm not terribly fascinated. And those are kind of a struggle for me sometimes, but most of the time, especially in the book of Joshua, I'm in like incredibly fascinated by so many of the things that are here. And it just, it leaves me really searching through the scriptures to see what's true and what's not as I kind of parse through everything that's out there. And there's a lot of information out there in this book. So that's how I would kind of define the difference between like a fascination with what's going on in his word and just kind of going down bunny trails and rabbit holes that maybe aren't that helpful to keep you engaged in his word. So as you find yourself fascinated, keep reading. God's word, but maybe like look up where some of these towns are. They might be meaningful and they, there might be a reason why the Lord would be leading you to do that. All right. Continuing on verse 12, the Western boundary of the coastline is the Mediterranean sea. These are the boundaries around the people of Judah by their clans. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. I find it interesting that this is telling us this over and over again. There's, there's so many different places. And we've talked about the anachronistic names that the book of Joshua and other places in the Bible use and how common that is, right? And by anachronism, if you're just joining us for the first time today, we're talking about where when they take the city, it's named Kiriath Arba. When Joshua or when uh, Caleb takes the city, it's called Kiriath Arba. And they continue calling it Kiriath Arba for some time. But then later they change the name to Hebron. And so later in these parenthetical things, the, the uh, translators understand that this was probably a later edit 
where the the people down the road, they're editing this and then telling us, hey, Kiryath Arba is Hebron. They're one and the same. So the people understand this is real space, real time. This isn't some weird mythology. These are real places. And we're just telling you the new name. But we haven't changed anything about it. We're just telling you the new name. Sometimes they give us both names. Sometimes they just give us the new name. And, and those are the anachronistic namings that go on perfectly normal, doesn't mean like the Bible's not true or anything like that. People make all sorts of wild claims. This is what anyone would naturally do so that we know where this place actually is. And again, going back to the Amarna letters and Egyptology and archaeology, it's because of these anachronistic naming that they get all of this so screwed up. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know very quickly why this is done and that this shouldn't be an issue for anthropologists and archaeologists, but it is. Okay, verse 14. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there he marched against the people living in Debir, formerly called Kiriath-Sephir, and Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath-Sephir. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aksa to him in marriage. One day when she came to Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you've given me land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. This is the inheritance of the tribe of Judah, according to its clans. So, <clears throat> I like the story there. And this is an interesting story that's going to contrast with what we're going to see in the next uh, couple chapters. Caleb, in this context, is the only one after Joshua kind of says, I'm done, I'm retired, I'm, I'm stepping back, and now any further land and cities that you're going to take, they're on you. Individual clans, you've gotten your allotment, go take them, and then continue to take the other cities. What we're going to see is Caleb is essentially the only guy that's going to do that for the foreseeable future as he takes, you know, these uh, additional towns. Nobody else is going to do that, as we're going to see with uh, Manasseh and Ephraim here in the, the next chapter, in chapter 16 or 17, one of the next chapters. Anyway, let's jump back and finish on the map again, just to get a picture of where all this is. Again, we're talking about Judah, and so we've got all of these borders kind of going through here. And again, if you look at 10 different maps, you're going to see 10 different borders. And that's just because this is a challenging thing. It'd be This would be challenging enough surveying if we were there at that moment doing all of this, but we're not. We're 3,500 years, 3,400 years removed from this. So it's really challenging to piece all this together and be exact. So that's why I'm giving you the 50,000 foot view of all of these tribes, which you can pretty much get in any Bible map. All right, for the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.